It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Hippocrates once said, everything in excess is opposed to nature. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Jonathan is unable to join me today, so sitting in his seat is Julie. And this podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So, Julie, what is our topic for today's episode? Can good things ever be bad? And our theme text is 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Okay, can good things ever be bad? Coming up in today's podcast, what's the difference between appropriately taking care of ourselves and excessively putting ourselves first? How big of a gray area is there with this? We're going to get into this in about 15 minutes. Is it a good or a bad thing to spend time researching important information? And and what about seeking leisure time and entertainment? We'll address these issues in about 30 minutes. How much time should we be giving to relationships with people who are not interested in our Christianity? What about all the time we spend on social media? What about it? Well, we'll find out in about 45 minutes. But first, is it a good thing to take care of our aging parents? And if so, then why did Jesus seem to teach us to basically ignore them? Did he really mean that? We're going to start with some context in this question right now. So again, can good things ever be bad? As Christians, we face the potential for deep trouble each and every day. Why? We live in an age of knowledge, choice, technology, and accessibility. This would be thoroughly awesome, except for one thing— These opportunities come with a healthy dose of what I'm going to call an entitlement of excess, which means because we can, we therefore feel that we must. Many of the myriads of things available to us are good and healthy. Uh, We can learn to garden, to sew, to carve wood online. We can be part of several social communities without the disadvantage of distance. We, We can learn others' cultures, appreciate art and music from anywhere. We can read, we can absorb, we can watch to our heart's content. So how much is too much? As Christians, where should we draw a line? And more importantly, why should we draw lines? This question came from a listener about time traps because we're all bombarded with information from all directions all the time. And she wanted to know if seemingly unharmful temptations are okay or should they be avoided? So we're going to talk about different activities that come up in life and see where they might fit. This is what we're calling a self-directed podcast episode. And this means that while we don't have an answer for everyone's every scenario, we're going to present some of the tools that the Bible gives us so that individually we can evaluate what decision is best for each of us. Okay, there's a lot of things we're going to put on the table. We're not going to answer them necessarily. Some we will. But the point is putting the principles on the table so you can use your best thinking and best spirituality to decide. So let's start with a seemingly simple command to direct how we're to handle all things in life. Julie, let's go to Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. There it is. (laughs) Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. While this is a good place to start, it's by no means a complete set of guidelines. Well, the problem is it doesn't tell us what not to do. Right, right. So figuring out when good things can become bad things has everything to do with measuring whatever the thought, word, or action is, measuring it against our highest life commitment. Throughout the podcast, we're going to periodically quote from an article from Success Magazine uh, as we lay out these principles. It was the November-December issue of 2019. The article was entitled, Win With Your Mind?, by a gentleman by the name of Trent Shelton. So, Julie, the first quote we want to bring out, because these these are really good eye-catching thoughts to get us started, is under the heading that he had of commitment. The first key trait of a winning mindset is the ability to stay loyal to what you said you were going to do long after the mood you set it in has left you. (laughs) That's good. It is, (laughs) and it's so true. 
we get into a mood, we make a commitment, and the whole point is staying with what we said we would do. Seemed like a good idea at the time. We'll right, say. right, right, right. And so what we're going to see is what seems so simple in Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, do in the name of Jesus, isn't that simple. We need to be clear regarding the depth of our Christian commitment. And so that's what we want to focus on here. We're going to go to a tough scripture where Jesus is very specific about the depth of following him. Luke 9, 57 to 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds have their nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And by the way, we think that he's saying he needs to take care of his aged father, not that he had you know just died and Jesus won't let him bury him. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. That's harsh. Yeah, you know, these are these are hard sayings from Jesus. And the thing we have to understand is Jesus is is in a weeding out process here. He is telling people who are just like that quote from Trent Shelton, you know, they're they're saying one thing, but it, it's in a mood. And he knows the mood is going to pass. Jesus could read the heart. And so he's saying you have to think before you you speak. You have to realize that what you speak it requires incredible action. Are you in a position? Are you ready to take that action? And that's why he says, no one after putting his hands to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. You have to be committed. And Jesus was the classic example of one committed, even unto death. So the idea is have your commitment sound and clear. And, and we are going to repeat that a hundred times, well, maybe not a hundred, but a lot in this in this podcast. So let, let's talk a little bit, just, just for a few minutes, about taking care of aging parents. Now, is this a good thing or a bad thing to do? Well, how could it ever be bad to take care of your parents? Of, of course we're supposed to do that. Of course we are. You're right. You are thoroughly, totally, completely right. But here are the questions we have to ask ourselves. Well, why am I motivated to do this, and what do I hope to accomplish? And you say, well, wait, that's kind of a dumb question, because... You know, what you're motivated is you want to take care of your parents. Well, yeah, but you know what? A lot of times there's more to it than that. And we're, we're going to open that up a little bit. First, let's look at another seemingly harsh answer from Jesus. Luke 14, 25 to 26. Now, large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is telling us to hate our family? Is that, is that really what he's saying? I hope not. <laughs> well, what's the definition of that word, hate? Okay, when we look that up in the Greek, it means to detest, or by extension, to love less. Okay. Oh, so we're putting it in order. Right, right. So it can mean to detest. It certainly can. But it also can mean to love less. And you're right, putting it in order. Because following Jesus is the highest, hardest commitment of our entire lives. He is preparing those who are following along with him for that truth. And so he says, you have to love your family less than you love me. Everything has to be in the context of me first. And you say, well, that sounds proud. No, that sounds sacrificial, because that's what Jesus was doing. He put everything on the line to serve his father. So, you know, you got to ask yourself the question, well, did Jesus not love his own parents? And the answer is, oh, come on, really? Of course, that's not the case. Jesus is not telling us to ignore our family. He didn't do that himself. A very touching example of Jesus caring is when he's hanging on the cross and he's dying. And here's what he says. John is standing there at his feet with Jesus' mother, Mary. John 19, 26 to 27. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Now this disciple, John, is one of the apostles. Would he burden this apostle with something that wasn't spiritual? 
No, he wouldn't. He trusted John to care for his mother. And so you see this beautiful connection. So taking care of aged parents should never be a bad thing. As Christians, we're obliged to check our attitude in this action as in every other action. So let's, let's touch on another scripture and then let's get a little bit more specific. 1 Peter 4, 11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay. And Go ahead. Of course, everyone's going to agree, though, that taking care of our seniors is scriptural. Right. But there's a huge issue about how it should be done. Do we keep them in their own home? Do you move them into yours? Do you have them live at a facility? Home care requires space, temperament, time, and finances. And not everyone has all these, especially if advanced care is required. And the average person can't take a leave of absence for work for years to provide that care. And this makes people feel very guilty over the choice they had to make. Look what happened with COVID-19 this last year where, you know, they couldn't even visit their loved ones. Right. So for some, though, the time and stress it takes to be a caregiver, does their Christian walk temporarily suffer? So do you put all that aside and do it anyway? Well, see, What that, are they supposed to do? Well, these are hard questions, and, and that's why we brought this up. Obviously, we, we're supposed to take care of our parents, you know, honor your father and mother. But the, the point is, in the world in which we live— it is difficult, and everybody's not cut out, especially because of the fact that people live longer and have many more debilitating issues in life than it used to be. Everybody cannot do that kind of thing. Look, Jonathan, who's normally with us uh, on the podcast, he and Jewel are classic examples of those who have really the ability, the talent, and the focus to take care of aging parents. They have done a wonderful job for many, 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 many years. Everybody can't do that. And I know Jonathan, if he were here, he would say, look, everybody's not cut out or doesn't have the opportunity or the space or the, the finances or the temperament or all of these things, the opportunities to do it. So whatever it is you can do, do your very best and don't feel guilty because that's not you. Do the best that you can within the confines of what you have and let God make up the difference, but make sure you're doing the best that you can. But don't do the best that somebody else can. See, oh, that's important. Yeah, we got to keep it clear as to what our capacity is and what our capacity isn't. Am I doing it so I can be like so-and-so? Wrong motivation. Am I doing it to do the best I can to honor my parents? Right motivation. See, there's a, we have to look at what, what's motivating us. And don't look down upon someone who perhaps can't do what you are right. able to do. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, one, other, one other quote here from uh, Trent Shelton. Many people are more interested than they are committed. And we find that to be true in every walk of life. We're talking about Christian commitment as the driving force that is in every aspect of our lives. So, Julie, you know, in, in my life, in my experience, I talk to a lot of people about issues and, and problems and things. One of the things I always say to everybody is, what's the next right thing to do? So as we look at trying to figure out how to, uh, you know, can, can good things be bad? We're going to keep asking the question, what does it mean to do the next right thing? So, Julie, what's our first do the next right thing point? Our highest commitment, which is to be a disciple of Jesus, is the foundation for every action we take. Honor this commitment first, and we will keep good things from becoming bad things. So the first point is keep the highest things the highest things. It really is quite simple when you think about it that way. It's simple, as but we're going to say oftentimes it's not easy. So keeping focused on good things wouldn't be so hard if our sinful minds would stop trying to Make it all about me. <laughs> now, taking care of our aging parents should be a no-brainer. Is it as simple with taking care of ourselves? Nope. <laughs> there is a world of difference in these two examples. Whenever we're focused on others, it's generally, generally easier to separate that which is good from that which is excessive. But when I am the subject of my own decisions, that which sounds good but can be bad can become mysteriously blurred, and suddenly the excess of me 
is shining bright in front of everything. And that's never a good thing. That's never a good thing. So this segment, Julie, this segment is really going to be all about me and not Rick, me, but the me of everybody. <laughs> all about me. Right. Okay. The you, me, and, and the other person, me, and, and the everybody, me. So we're, we're going to be focusing on paying attention to our personal needs and desires. Is this a good thing or is this a bad thing to do? Well, we have to ask ourselves, why are we paying attention? What will we do with the results of this attention that we're giving? Well, what do you mean, why are we paying attention? We're paying attention because it's me. Of course <laughs> I'm paying attention. I'm always with me. Right. Well, and that's a good observation. I, I can see that you know yourself well. <laughs> but, you know, here, here's the thing. We have to understand the why of everything. And when we look at our lives, it's why am I doing this, that, or the other thing? And we fool ourselves with the why all the time. We will give ourselves a rationalization as to why this or that is a good thing. When all the while, it is out of order with what our true why should be. And as Christians, our true why is really, really focused. So you have to ask yourself, and I'm going to ask this question again and again, why am I doing this particular thing? Why? Truly, look in the mirror, ask yourself, and don't lie to yourself. Why am I doing it? Because I want to? Or does it have some kind of redeeming value that I think is, is, is important? That's the, the purpose of that question. So we're really going to focus on discipline in this segment, and we're going to go to another Trent Shelton quote on discipline. Get good at saying no to the things that do not move you towards your yes. And that's what the why is that I was just talking about. He's just saying things move you towards your yes. S stay with those. The things that don't, say no to those. Okay, so we're going to be talking about our free time after we're done with everything that we have to do. And I think that if we polled 100 Christians on how our free time should properly be spent, we'd likely get 100 different answers, which is, again, why we're calling this a self-directed program. So, Rick, I want to ask you about hobbies, cooking, travel, gardening, making, collecting things, playing an instrument, bird watching. And what about exercise, playing sports, running, workouts, all of these things could take a considerable amount of our time. God gave us a really big world out there. Is the ideal to sit in our room and read the Bible every waking moment? And I've got a really, really important question for you. Okay. At what point does our commitment to sacrifice our desires and preferences in exchange for God's will apply to these perfectly noble activities? Okay, so all of these other things versus studying. I mean, that's really kind of what you're doing. You gave me that comparison. Right. And, and look, there, there is not a right or a wrong answer here. And, and don't jump to a conclusion just by hearing that because we're all wired differently. Some of us need, need more downtime than others. Some of us are wired to be able to sit and read and study, you know, every waking moment of our day. There are those of us, I'm not one of those. Okay. I do a lot of reading and studying, but I am not wired. I need to be able to walk away. So we're going to develop this as we go, but just to, to, to set, set, set the ground rules to kind of whet your appetite, you have to understand why do I do these other things? What is, what is the value that's going to be brought to me that's going to be glorifying God? How mm -hmm. is that going to fit? So let's go through some scriptures, then we'll come back around to this. Okay, so we're going to start to look at this like a decision tree so that we have some sort of roadmap to know how to evaluate ourselves. So please see the CQ Rewind show notes for this episode. We're not going to have just the whole tree, but also every scripture we quote and much of the commentary. So that's at ChristianQuestions.com or on the Christian Questions app. Now, the overarching top of the tree is the scripture we just read, that Colossians 3.17, remember, whatever we do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's the same message as our theme text, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So with those scriptures set in place as our umbrella, the top of our tree, what's our first move? Okay, first approach is to be cautious. Always, always to be cautious. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to basically go through verses 16 through 26. We're going to take it in a few different pieces. Let's go verses 16 and 17 to begin with. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to each other, so that you may not do the things that you please. Okay. Walk in the Spirit, don't carry out the deeds of the flesh. You notice it's a one or the other. It doesn't say, hey, there's some kind of middle ground that you can have your toe in both. 
It's uh-huh. walk in the spirit and the desires of the flesh are contrary. So there's a definite decision making to go in a specific direction. So this is saying be cautious, make sure you're walking in the appropriate direction. Okay, that's the that's the sort of the introduction. Our second approach for discipline here, it should be to as best as we can, and we're imperfect, so this may not work perfectly, but as best as we can, entirely weed out any desires that are blatantly contrary to godliness. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, let's go back to Galatians chapter 5, verses uh, 19 through 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a list we all need to sit with when deciding how to put our lives in order. You know, could the thing I want to do blatantly or indirectly bring me to an area that's contrary to godliness? These are really broad words in here that might seem like no way would these apply to me. Sorcery. Well, of course, I'm not going to practice witchcraft in the name of Jesus to advance my Christianity, but idolatry is anything that replaces or diminishes our worship of God. So we need to be hypersensitive to things that we have or might want to do that could somehow diminish our worship. And just a quick comment on those first three we read, immorality, impurity, sensuality. I don't want to comment on those, so... You, you get to talk okay, about those. Good, good. So nice. you say just a quick comment and say, but I'm not giving it. <laughs> a little embarrassing. Yep. Okay, what but, do you think about that? Well, what I think is they're there at the beginning of this list for a very specific reason. Immorality, impurity, and sensuality. We have to be so incredibly careful about what we do and how we do it, what we think and how we think it, what we allow our minds to observe and, and take in. And if these things are contrary to the will of God, shut them down. Don't say, well, you know, it's not so bad. No, 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 it is so bad. It is. And you have to be really clear of what is appropriate and what is not. This is a list of inappropriateness. And if there's a flirtatious relationship that you kind of feel like you'd like to have with that person over there, shut it down. Even if it's online and you never meet them? Shut it down. Just shut it down. This is a list of shutdown. Make no mistake, okay? <laughs> this is the list that you run away from. Mm-hmm. So the second, day or the second approach is weed out. Weed out these desires. The third, now look, you may still have the desire, but don't feed it, okay? That's another subject for another day, and we will get to that in a few weeks. Okay, so our first decision of our tree is examine it. Is this thing I want to do blatantly or indirectly on this list? Mm-hmm. And if it's yes, don't do it. But if it's not, if it's not on the list, what's our next step? Okay, well, the third approach should be to invite in all thoughts, actions, and desires that provoke godliness. You notice we had the list that said throw away? Well, you can't leave a vacuum. You have to throw those things away, and you have to invite something else in. What do we invite? Well, you know what? The Apostle Paul is really smart, and he gave us a list of what to get rid of. Now he goes to Galatians chapter 5, verses 20 through, 22 I'm sorry, through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Okay, so you have this list of things that you invite in, and in the middle of that was self-control. And, you know, the Greek-English lexicon gives a really good, very descriptive look at what self-control in this scripture actually means. What is it? The virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. The virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially sensuality keeping those things away because they have no business in Christianity. All of that sensual thought and behavior belongs with your spouse, and that's it. That's where it belongs. That's the end of that. Okay, so the next step in our decision tree would be, then does it invite our thoughts, actions, or desires that provoke these characteristics of godliness, the love, joy, peace, kindness, etc.? 
Right. Okay. So again, and, and folks, you really do want to see this this tree because it helps. It's a visual aid to get yourself really focused on these things. With these exercises and discipline that we're talking about in motion, we can better focus on positive actions. And these positive actions are things to do that glorify God. And that reminds us of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 9, verse 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Okay, so you've got this sense of do what you find to do once you have those right things inside of you with your might. In other words, be active in the service of God. So, Julie, what about practicality specifically? What do you want to get into here? Well, I want to know... um, Okay, so let's go back, and I I talk about examples of hobbies and exercise, but I want to give you a personal story. So my husband and I went on this dream trip to Italy a few years back. We were both working extremely stressful jobs, and to have such a different experience was one of the highlights of our lives. We rode bikes through Tuscany. We went on an eight-hour walking tour of Rome. We visited Pompeii. We saw artwork so precious it would make you weep. We had never experienced anything like this. It was romantic, exciting, full of learning and memories, and we were thanking God every step of the way. But trips like this don't plan themselves. And if I'm being honest, it took months of finding the right airfare, learning the train system, finding the tour group, packing. It took a lot of my free time. And after we got back, I, of course, had to work on the scrapbook of all the photos (laughs) and all the memories and all the pieces, the pictures of uh, pasta. And then I worked on that for about a year in my spare time. Was this a good thing or a bad thing to spend all this time? I really enjoyed it. I really loved it. And, you know, when you think back on it, you said you were thanking God every step of the way. Absolutely. It was amazing. So, so you know, and again, folks, I can't, I can't give somebody an answer. Yeah, you should or should not do that because there's nothing morally wrong here. And, and here's the thing. This was a, well, you, you called it a once-in-a-lifetime trip. And, you know, sometimes once-in-a-lifetime things serve as that memory and that motivation and that, 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 that grounding that can help us in so many things. So no, I can't tell you, oh, no, I shouldn't have done it. It was a beautiful thing. And I don't know if you were planning on mentioning this, but I will, but you know, many of the pictures that you took on that picture, on, on that trip, found their way into CQ Rewind over the years. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know, so, you know, it was, it, it's a good thing to be able to do that, especially with your spouse, to, to be together, to honor and worship God as you go through and you, and you, you visit these places and, and see the, the beauty that you saw. So, good. Now, if you're going to say, and we're going to do that every six months, I'd say, okay, Julie, maybe we should talk a little bit. A little excessive. Yeah, and that's the key. We've got to be really careful about those things. Okay, let's talk a little bit just about exercise. Okay. I've got a great quote from a friend of both of ours named Joe Megas. When the mind is weary, exercise the body. When the body is weary, exercise the mind. When both are weary, go to sleep. <laughs> so what is your position on taking time away from Bible study and spirituality to exercise? What do you do? I exercise. I do. I, I enjoy exercising, okay, and that, that does play a role, no question about it. And uh, I, I, to be honest with you, I used to go to a gym, but in the advent of COVID, I stopped going to the gym, and it became very difficult, and things were not going really great in the exercise environment, and I tried to sort of make up things as we went and didn't work. So we actually purchased some exercise equipment for home, and now we have a home gym, and I make use of it, you know, uh, five days, six days a week. And I, I love to exercise. And here's the thing. Exercise clears my head. Exercise gives me a fresh sense of things. And it helps. There are times when I will think about, think through a podcast while I'm on the elliptical for 30 or 40 minutes. And I'll think, okay, segment one, segment two, here's some scriptures. You know, there are times I think about the New York Yankees, but there are times, <laughs> honest, I'm being honest. But it clears my mind. It gives me physical strength and, and, and energy that I can pour into God's work. So to me, exercise is a really important thing. I'm speaking from my own personal experience. Okay. So perhaps there are these activities that don't like maybe directly promote godliness, but would not be harmful to what 2 Corinthians 5.17 calls our new creature. So if we add this to our decision tree, what should we do with those kind of things? 
put a time limit. Be careful with those kinds of things. When you've got things that are neither here nor there, they can, they can have a, you know, a good effect as a human being. Just do things in moderation. Be careful with those things because we're, not, we're still human and we need to take care of the humanity that, that we, we are blessed with. But we don't want to do things in excess outside of our ultimate goal of godliness. Okay. Okay. And I was thinking maybe we could also incorporate some spiritual applications. Like let's say I want to knit. I like knitting. Maybe I can knit little hats for all the newborns in my church or sure, share sure. my cooking or baking skills. You know, some way to incorporate others for that. And, and yeah, and if there's a good way to, to build something spiritual with whatever it is we like to do, that's great. That's actually best. You know, people like to bird watch, you know, and bird watching is a, is a great thing. And because, you know, and you look at the, and you marvel at the creation of God. How did he make so many birds? I mean, it's it's incredible. Anyway, aren't they there for us to watch them? I I think that that might be part of it. Actually, I actually love bird watching, but that's another story. All right, we let, let, let's let's move forward here a little bit. All of the needs and desires that we develop should bring us to attaining a gentle spirit, which is going to bring us actually to the peace of God. Philippians four verses four through seven. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, see, that's what everybody wants. Right. And if taking long walks or having pets help us keep anxiety in check, maybe that's okay. And I think that that's a very good point. And for some, those are really important things, a long walk or, or, walk or having pets. The idea is our gentle spirit should be visible to those around us. And if we live with that gentle spirit because we're honoring God with everything that we do, we can have the peace of God. Another quick quote from Trent Shelton. Sometimes the best way to add to your life is to subtract from it. And that is so important. All of the needs and desires we develop should bring us to dwelling on spiritual excellence. This is like a broken record, but it is exactly what we need to focus on. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, we've got to ask ourselves, what am I committed to? If my highest commitment is discipleship, and as a Christian it should be, then I should pursue having every other life commitment serve it. And all of these other things can if our motivation, if our why is in the right place. Uh, the idea of this dwelling on spiritual excellence is a phrase we all need to carefully consider. So we left our decision tree at does this action provoke godliness? And if the answer is yes, we're not done yet because now we've got to analyze our motivation. Right. So is our motivation this spiritual excellence that we just saw in Philippians 4, 8 to 9? Or will our action honor other people like our parents or spouse or help our children? And if our action promotes godliness with the right motivation, then we proceed. But here's the problem. We can do good things for the wrong reasons, and that's why we really have to analyze ourselves. Are we doing something out of jealousy for what others are doing? What about we're doing something good, but we're secretly resenting having to do it? Are we irritated and just doing it because we are have an obligation? When you come to that part of the tree, we have to re-examine, pray, and cautiously and mindfully continue. So I have another question for you, though. When your grandchildren come over, do you tell them, I'm sorry, I am studying the Bible right now. Go play outside. Um, generally, no, I don't. <laughs> generally, they become the apple of my eye for that time because it's such an important thing. And, uh, you know, there, there are times when, you know, you, you have to enter into their world. You know, a couple of weeks ago, my autumn, my five-year-old granddaughter was here and we were playing and, you know, there, there were things that I could have been doing, but it was, aut it was autumn's time. And for some reason, she decided that I needed to look like a princess. No. Uh, yeah, well, I'm not going to tell you what it ended up looking like, but I'm going to tell you that. I hope there's pictures for the CQ Rewind uh, show notes. No, there week. are not pictures for that. <laughs> but what there is, is that sense of the joy of the five-year-old child and the light in her eyes. 
and she would paste these little hearts all over my face and Aww. all of this stuff. And she was so excited and we had such a good time. That's an important thing to do. And so contribute to the world, to the lives, to the, to the things around you. Absolutely. That was the next right thing for you to do. It was. I do. Okay. So, so doing the next right thing. Because my personal needs and desires are based in human nature and habit, they require strong attention as I weed out, to the best of my ability, all inappropriateness. Remember, we got to weed out that which is inappropriate. Continued discipline in this process is a necess- uh, necessity as the heart wants what the heart wants. But we need to understand that we need to give God what is important over what our heart may want. So keeping good from becoming bad regarding myself looks like it will need never-ending watchfulness and care. Enough about me. What about understanding others and their beliefs and ways? How could that be bad? Well, imperfection can make anything that's inherently good take a bad turn. It's an enormous world out there, and you said that earlier, and understanding it can be a seriously important factor in being a good witness for the gospel. Proceed with caution. There is so much in the world that can divert our attention and chip away at our commitment. And there is nothing worse, Julie, in life than having a serious commitment that you're really focused on and you allow some little things to chip away at it over time over time and that serious commitment becomes a little bit smaller and it's kind of imperceptible but over time it loses its foundational capacity we don't want that to happen with our christianity so in this segment it's going to be about uh personal beliefs and drive and reasons and uh um personal entertainment things like that so learning about others religions belief systems and why people act the way they do and seeking knowledge. We want to know about seeking knowledge and what should we do with that? Okay. Is this a good thing or is it a bad thing to do? So why are we seeking this knowledge? What will we do with it? What's my why? What is the reason I'm looking into this, that, or the other thing? What's the, re- the real reason? Not the one that you say, not the one that's rational, quote unquote, to everybody that sort of fits in. What's the real reason? And I think that a lot of the problems with this issue is um, personal belief systems that are out there where it's I am my own God Mm. or the belief system based on feelings or emotions or ego, not the things that the true genuine faith should be based on. And when I'm doing research for Christian questions, I find a lot out there on the Internet trying to tear down Christianity and undermine its principles as being antiquated and not keeping up with the times. And I think that when we start dipping our toe into other things, it could get real faith shaking real quick. Yeah. So we need to be careful. We do. We do. And what we need with our commitment is consistency. Let's go back to Trent Shelton on consistency. It is not enough to be committed and disciplined if you are not consistent. Okay. That's that's important. Yeah. You've got to put all of the pieces together. There's a difference between trying to understand a perspective and diminishing truth to entertain that perspective. Okay, go ahead. Let me just let me just interject something in here while we're talking about these scriptures. It seems that nowadays we have to be our own experts in many areas of life because we're getting so much contradicting information about the issues of the day. For example, hot topic right now is the COVID-19 vaccine. Should we take it? Should we not? Which one should we take? In the past, we could defer to experts to tell us which direction to go, but now... Every side has their own expert, and we have to do our own research to find out which side's better. But this takes time. How much time do we spend on this? And this is just one issue. You know, are we supposed to just make educated guesses and move on and trust that God's going to take care of it? Or does having a spirit of the sound mind mean we look deeper to know what we should do for our families? So researching, what do we do? Well, I think that researching is important, especially with something that is as serious as that. But here's the thing, folks, and and hear me clearly on this. There is no best answer. In most of the things that we have to deal with, there is no best answers. There are better answers, but there is no best answer. Bottom line with the virus and the the vaccine, and I'm not going to tell you what side of the issue I fall on it, just to, to keep that clear. But the bottom line is, you don't know how your body is going to respond to it. And it's going to be different than the person next to you, most likely. So what I would recommend is, yes, do your research. And do your research, do two things. First, 
put a time limit on it, okay, because you don't want it to dominate your life. But second, do what we call lateral reading, which means that you would go to the sources you would naturally and normally go to, and then go to the sources that would seem to say something different that you normally wouldn't. Compare the two, make a decision, and then work with the decision. You say, well, shouldn't I exhaust it? No, because you'll be exhausted, okay? It just isn't going to be beneficial. There is no best answer. Do the research, ask God's providence to guide you, be clear, make a decision. And God is praised when we make a decision based on putting out effort. He doesn't want us to spend six days doing research on this one thing. You know, he wants us to, to, to be mature, make a decision, and then move forward. So let's talk, let's look at some scriptures now. Let's just breeze through 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 10. We're going to take it in a couple of pieces. And again, this is about understanding perspective versus diminishing truth to entertain a different perspective. 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 5 to begin with. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. So... This is, a, this is a scripture of motivation. Remember, we're talking about your why. Why yeah. are you doing this? And, and, and there are those who look for trying to take scripture to make it a way to, to be profitable. That's not what scripture is there for, it is to be profitable spiritually, but not physically. Make no mistake about that. Any investigating and research into various approaches and stances in life must be done, hear me on this, with our feet firmly planted in the solid foundation of truth. Make no mistake, you're a Christian, that's what you've agreed to, that's what you've dedicated your life to. If your feet are planted in truth, it's going to be hard to wander from it, okay, because your feet are planted where they belong. So let's continue with the scripture knowing that our foundation is already sure. First Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Aha. For we have Oops. <laughs> Sorry, no, just that's a, <laughs> ah, you scared me. It's <laughs> an aha moment. Go ahead. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we should be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmless desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So are we talking about actual money here and that's it? Uh, see, I don't think so. I think that money is the symbol for gain, for greed, for uh, gathering things in. And we can, e- this is easy. Our world is easy to be greedy because with information, with what I like, with what I prefer, it's really easy to get that now. It didn't used to be 50 years ago, but now it is. Godliness with contentment is the gain that we need to be looking at. Not these harmful desires. Again, can good things become bad? Easily, if we are looking at things that are too attractive to us for the wrong reasons. What's my why? Okay, is it, it's good to want to know understand and understand, but that good can easily teeter on the edge of prideful gain and action. Always remember that. Good can easily become bad. Imperfect humanity seems to always be looking for the new thing, don't we? Come on, we do, don't we? We seem to forget that the old things, the biblical things, are founded in the written word of God, the Creator. Let's keep our perspective. Let's keep our perspective on what the most important things are, and that way good things can stay good. Another quote from Trent Shelton. The misconception is that you may think you have a consistency problem when actually it's your lack of commitment. <laughs> and see, that is such an important thing because you can we can say, well, you know, I get sidetracked into this and I get sidetracked into that and I get sidetracked mm-hmm. into this. I'm just not consistent. I would submit to you that perhaps you're just not committed enough because if it's that easy to get sidetracked, you have to ask yourself, well, what's my most important thing then? 
Because if our commitment is shining through in our lives every yeah, day. The top of the tree. Right. Um, whether thou eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Is that your primary goal? Yeah. So you got to be careful with that. Practical. Okay, here's a big one. Ready? Ready. Seeking leisure time and entertainment. Everybody's waiting to hear your your thoughts on this. Why are we seeking leisure time and entertainment and what do we do with it? I have a wonderful quote from John Steinbeck, American author. We now face the danger, which in the past has been the most destructive to the humans, success, plenty, comfort, and ever-increasing leisure. No dynamic people has ever survived these dangers. Oh. Now, Rick, what do you think the largest industry in the world is? It's got to be the entertainment industry. It's the United States media and entertainment industry expected to reach $825 billion by 2023. Movies, television, streaming, music, radio, book publishing, and video games. What are we supposed to do with all of these things to do? <laughs> How do we make sure entertainment is a life enhancer and not a life driver? And see, that is actually, that's the core of the matter. Entertainment is a good thing in its appropriate place out of its appropriate place it drives your life and you know folks you know if your entertainment drives your life you do and if it does you have to ask yourself okay what am i going to do about that how am i going to stop that trend entertainment should enhance your life it, it look and for me again i i need time off i need to i i, I run a business we have Christian questions. I'm a minister in our church. We, my wife and I, I have my wife and I, we have five grandchildren. I mean, there's all kinds of things that go on in life that just require time and effort. You know, you counsel individuals and all of that. And you say, well, how do you cope? You walk away sometimes. That's how, for me, that's how I cope. And, and, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but Friday nights, are my night with my, my wife. We, we just go out for dinner. Occasionally we'll have grandkids with us and we'll take them with us. But it's just the time away. Just stop, put everything aside, and then relax and just be together for a period of time. It is so wonderful and it helps me go back to the work. And it enhances the work. That's the important thing here. And you do watch TV, right? You yeah, will yeah. watch a movie? Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, okay. and, and I, and, you know, entertainment is, 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 is a part of life, is a part of my life, but it doesn't drive my life. And I am really careful about that. It's, it's, it's kind of like exercise. I, I, I get off the train for a few minutes. I get myself back together and I get back on and I can work harder and I can work better and work more clearly. Why? To honor God. Mm -hmm. That's, that's okay. the point. Okay. So, we all, look, here, look, we have everything we need to follow that which is good to keep from becoming bad. How do I know we have everything? Because Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 10 tells us, let's start with verses 3 and 4. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world by lust. This scripture says he has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. We don't need more. It's here. We just need to decide that it's the most important thing and we need to make use of it. Principles, examples, inspiration, and promises, all at our fingertips in the scriptures. Keep these things in front of you and keep good things good. If your big why for what you are doing is to be a disciple of Christ and you do it through scriptural study and understanding, the other things will fall into place. So let's continue with that scripture. We're now in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 10. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord 
Christ Jesus. See, we get what we focus on here. And, and this is an incredible picture of consistency that's based on commitment. You know, it's easy to be consistent if our commitment is sound. It's hard to be consistent if our commitment is not. Keeping good things good means we really focus on what our commitment is, and then everything else is going to begin to fall into place. And again, we get to verses 9 and 10, and it says, okay, here's the other side of the issue. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Think about Boy, that. that's reassuring, isn't it? It is. See, that's the thing. If you lack these qualities, you're blind or short-sighted. You've forgotten some things. Okay, if that happened, that's okay. Reorganize, reorder, put things back in perspective. Take some things away from life so you can add the good things. A lack of development of these qualities is an invitation for good to become bad. Let's not go down that road. Another Trent Shelton quote. You are consistent in those things that you have given a bigger reason. There you go. You are consistent when you know the cost of not doing what you need to do. And that comes down to really understanding what you're committed to. So we can keep good things good as long as we take the things that are in sort of in the middle, we put time frames on them, we, we keep them in order, and we make decisions with them and then move on. There's a lot to it, but it can be done. So doing the next right thing... Oops. <laughs> Doing the next right thing. Don't simply let curiosity or desire for entertainment become the director of your life. Consciously limit time spent that isn't directly supporting our highest goals. It has to be a conscious decision because if we leave it to just our instinct, it's not going to work so well. So we got to be careful with that conscious decision. So much available for us to learn about our enormous world and its people and so much caution we need to use. Jesus told us we're in the world, but not of it. Does that mean we're to ignore the people around us? <laughs> Here again, we need to be sensible. If we ignore those around us, what kind of witness for Jesus would that be? On the other hand, if we become like the people around us, what kind of witness would that be? Be for Jesus. So let's do what Jesus did. Here's the thing. Jesus said, be in the world, but don't be of the world. That's simple, but not easy. So in this segment, Julia, we're going to talk about friends and neighbors and co-workers and, and, and relatives and other parents of school-age kids and clubs and activities, being online, being involved in social media. We're going to talk about all of those things, okay? And it really comes down to interacting with people of the world. Jesus said in John 17, I know they're in the world, but I pray that they stay not of the world. So he's praying for us to be in the world, but not of the world. So interacting with people of the world, like Jesus was talking about, is this a good thing or a bad thing to do? Ask yourself the question, why am I engaging in whatever activity it is that I'm engaging in? What's my why for doing it? What am I looking to achieve with these interactions. Quick quote from a Trent Shelton before we get into scriptures on faith. Champions understand that the process must be trusted. Many people will start something and within a month they throw in the towel and give up because the result is not instant and apparent. Okay, you have to have faith in the process of development. You know, and as we're talking about the, the, the having your, your, your why in place and, and keeping good things, good things, you might be saying, wow, you know, I make a lot of mistakes. Okay. That's fine. But what are we going to do about it? How am I going to take the next small step, do the next right thing to change that trend? And one of those things really needs to be focusing on that decision tree. Because when you look at it, it helps you identify what's happening and where it belongs. And it gives scriptural principles all along the way. So let's open up some more scriptures before we get back to some practicality. Keeping good as good means we don't pollute it with evil influences. Now that sounds like a no-brainer, but sometimes it's not. We need to tread carefully. 1 Corinthians 10, 21-23. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? 
All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. And I think what that means is just because I can doesn't mean I should. Amen to that. See, that is enormous. We can with all kinds of things in the world and in the circumstances and in your leisure time. You have the world in the palm of your hand when you hold your phone. You truly do. What are you going to do with that? Does it edify even if it's lawful? Does it edify? Does it bring you closer to God through Christ? See, the thing is we do have liberty, but it's not license to act in a way that detracts from glorifying God. Let's go to 1 Corinthians, a couple of verses down from what you just read, verses 27 through 28. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience's sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience's sake. So this is important scripture, Julie, because what the Apostle Paul is saying, you know, the the big debate, should Christians mingle, quote-unquote, with non-Christians and this, that, or the other thing? The Apostle Paul is talking about having a meal with unbelievers. And he's saying, if an unbeliever invites you and you want to go, go. But he's putting parameters on it. Just make sure you are handling that experience in a godly, appropriate way way. So that doesn't mean you go anywhere they ask you to. And do anything that they ask you to. Right, because that doesn't fit with the decision tree, does it? Right, you've got to hit those highest levels first in order to filter down to this area. Exactly, exactly. So Paul is saying, yes, because you can be a witness this way. Be involved, but make sure your involvement is within the parameters of godliness and appropriateness. He's advocating choosing when, where, and most importantly, how to mingle with unbelievers. Go down a few more verses in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 31 to 32. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, oh, this sounds familiar, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Okay, I love that last verse. Give no offense, really to anybody, to Jews, people of Jewish heritage, people of pagan Greek heritage, or to the church of God. Be that person of great integrity who has a a purpose in life and just lives it no matter where you are. You should be the same person wherever you are. You really should. And if you are totally different with this group versus that group, why? Let's ask ourselves why. And have I taken something good and and perhaps made it potentially bad? We've got to be so careful. So the bottom line, like you said, is always the same. Do what is right while firmly planted in godly principles. Go ahead. Having friends requires a big investment of time and energy, and having more friends means a bigger investment of time and energy. I personally have a handful of really great friends that I've had for decades who are either in Christian in name only or they're Jewish, and they aren't super interested in religion. But I do put time and effort into these relationships, and I get a lot out of them. They know my position on things and respect my beliefs, and I get to witness to them by my lifestyle, my words, and my actions. So I'm just wondering, should we be limiting ourselves with our friendships? I think that's an area we do need to be very careful with because it's, it's really wonderful to have great friends. And you're right, it takes a lot of time and effort. And if a friendship, and I think we touched on this earlier, if a friendship is going to lead you down a road of darkness, obviously that's a friendship that doesn't belong. If a friendship is going to lead you down a road of mediocrity... That's a friendship you have to question. Not worth our time because right. our time is more preciously spent elsewhere. Right. But if a friendship is going to leave, lead you down a road of goodness that can bring glory to God, then by all means. But again, make sure that our time spent is in the context of serving God through Christ first. So friendships is a big deal, you know, but we need to be careful with that. And that includes online friendships as well. Very much so, very much so. The Apostle Peter gives a clear and unmistakable answer. He says, leave the past and leave any sinful behavior behind. This is, this is a fascinating scripture. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, 
Arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And all this, they're surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. So there's a lot. Of, you've been reading scriptures with a lot of That's stuff. That's a bad list. Yeah. <laughs> drinking see, parties, idol, abominable idolatries. Oy. But see, here's the point. The Apostle Peter's point is, look, you were once not a follower of Christ. You participated in who knows what, whatever level you participated in. Your time for that is over. It's done. It's behind you. Leave that which is behind you behind you. Look at that which is before you as the direction you're going, and don't let what was behind you get in front of you, and what's in front of you get behind you, if you know what I mean. And don't let it get all around you. <laughs> right. Look up. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So this is an important principle. You've been there, don't go back because your life is about something bigger. That's how we keep good things, good things. And again, with things that we're not sure about, put a time limit. Put a time limit on it. Be conscious about things like this. Do the next right thing, Julie. What is it here? Do not hesitate to interact with those around you, but only do it if you are sure that the principles of godly righteousness go before, alongside of, and behind you. Godly principles, first, foremost, and in all cases. This is how we keep good things, good things. And the things that don't seem to fit any place, again, okay, sometimes you, you have to do things, you have to do research, you, you, you got to go through mundane things. Do them, but put a time limit on it. And when, if you start looking forward to this, that, or the other thing, and it's not, and it, and it brings you to even to, to mediocrity, to lukewarmness, ask yourself, what am I doing? What am I doing? Is this making something good actually bad. How about this? All the human traits I may have are expressible as long as that expression is within the confines of discipleship. So you can take the first part of that statement and say, what? You can express anything that's your human desire if it's within the confines of discipleship. Yes. Everything we do, and it sounds, you know, for, for somebody on the outside looking, say, well, that sounds pretty limiting. Yes, it is. By God's grace, by God's goodness, by his providence, it's limiting us to only righteousness and goodness and godliness. And frankly, I wouldn't want to live a life any other way because the rest of it is dirty and nasty and a waste of time and it's full of jealousy and spite and ignorance and all of those things. This is where we want to be. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is how you keep good things good and from becoming bad, because you use that renewed mind, that spirit-driven mind to help you understand the importance of things and put them in the categories. The things that things have to be done, but they're not the most important thing. Put them in order. Use the decision tree. I'm telling you, this decision tree is really cool. You got it. You've got to see this. Get Seeker Rewind uh, on this because the show notes because it's so so important. Keeping good things from becoming bad comes back to our foundational commitments. <laughs> Isn't that what we said at the very beginning? <laughs> we could have saved an hour. Yeah, Just go well, right back to the commitments. But but it always starts and ends with the same thing, and that's what Jesus did. He started and ended with the same thing. What's the will of God in my life? I will do that. No yes. matter what. No matter what. No matter what. The Apostle Paul, writing about the power of the resurrection of Christ, here's what he says. Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do. This is such an important aspect because 
This is what our lives are all about. What this, this doesn't mean that you can't do the research you need to do. This doesn't mean you can't have entertainment in life. You can't have diversions in life. You can't be involved in those things. What this means is, Paul says, forgetting those things which were behind. What was behind in Paul's life? He was a Christian persecutor. He was after what he determined was the right thing, but was evil. He turned his life around and pressing forward to the, toward those things which are before, the prize of the high calling, because now I serve Christ Jesus. That means everything I do is for a good purpose, it's for a righteous purpose, it's for a scriptural purpose, and it's godly. Do the next right thing, Julie, go ahead. If we are committed to the gospel, disciplined in our discipleship, consistent in our approach, have faith in God's providence, and apply our hearts to the crystallizing of our character, that which is good can always remain honorable before God. This is such an important thing to understand, putting it all in perspective so that we can look at our lives and measure our lives day by day by day. Look and measure what's happening and, and, and analyze and, and, and assess and be honest with yourself and say, okay, is it too much time? Is it too much effort? Is it too much distraction? And if it's too much distraction, put it aside. Put time limits on things that aren't as big and as important in the big scheme of things. Because you know what? A lot of research, there is no best answer. There are good answers. Find a good answer. Test it. Put it to work. Go back to it a month later. See how it worked. And then move on. Folks, there are so many ways that we can keep good things good. And it's so easy to slip. Be focused. Be committed to Christ in you, the hope of glory. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, here's a strange subject. Could God convict me of murder? Could God convict me of murder? Why would he even ask a question like that? Well, it's about the commandment. Thou shalt not murder. But there's much more to it. Talk to you about that next week. <laughs> <laughs>